But again, thank you for inviting me. I want to mention my website. It's bobyandian.com. Many things you can download, and uh, there's sermons there. Uh, there's things, to, all types of subjects, and so I know that'll be a great blessing to you. And again, thank you again for having me come. Uh, and I will be ministering this week at ICFM. Looking forward to that. And you guys have a beautiful country. Your pastor and uh, his wife, Vanessa, took me out yesterday and we got to eat along the coastline. And what a beautiful place. You guys are so blessed. Tulsa is nice, but it's not pretty. It's just, it's a nice place. I was raised there, but boy, I'll tell you, you guys just are so blessed to be here. And uh, I want to minister this morning. If you would turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, the second chapter. You know, I, I mentioned I, I minister on basic subjects, but I always come at it strictly from the Word of God. I have no major stories to tell. I'll tell a few stories this morning, but my story is Jesus, because without him, I'm nothing. Without him, you're nothing. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you are in the right place. This will be a life-changing sermon and a life-changing uh, day for you. And uh, it is no accident you are here today. God arranges these things. You know, oftentimes we come to church and we think, well, this is just another Sunday morning service, or this is just another evening service. This is a unique service, even though it is a Sunday morning service, because the people that are here today have never been together. These people have never been together this way ever. You are here today, and the people that surround you are not people that always attend, or they might attend from time to time. This group is unique. Therefore, the sermon is unique. The presence of God is unique. And you need to understand that you are not here by accident. Even though somebody might have dragged you in here, you're not here by accident. You're here because it's God-ordained. And this will be a service that can change your life if you'll just open your heart to the things of God. You know, we bless a meal before we eat it. And I think we ought to bless a spiritual meal before we eat it. We're about to break the bread of life today. One meal will last you till the next meal, then you have to eat again. But one sermon can change your life forever. Spiritual bread is eternal. And I know there's revelations I have understood in the past that literally have changed my entire life. So, Father, today we dedicate this sermon to you, and we bless the breaking of your bread to the nourishment of our souls, so that today, Father, we can understand you more and understand your will better in Jesus' name. I want to ask a question. How many of you will say today you're still searching for the will of God in your life? You're born again, but you're waiting for God's will to come so you'll know what he's called you to do. Can I see your hand, all right? Hands across. Okay, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Okay, this sermon is for you today. Because we're going to talk about how to let the will of God find you, not necessarily you find the will of God. We're going to take it up from Scripture today. You know, I was raised in a time, my father was a pastor. He had uh, three churches from the time that I was at five years old in kindergarten up until the time I was in junior high school. He pastored three churches in a time period when people thought if we pay the pastor, he should do everything. So if people needed someone visiting in a hospital, call the pastor. If you need someone witness to, call the pastor. If someone's in prison, you want somebody to visit, call the pastor. And my father, the churches were so small, could not afford to live on what the church gave him alone, so he also worked in Tulsa at a secular job. So with the secular job, pastoring a church, he was also having in the evenings to go visit people because that's what was expected of the pastor. But I'm here to tell you today that what makes a church successful is not just a successful pastor, it's people doing the work of the ministry. Because God has want, wants us to work together. In fact, the reason why we come together is for the perfecting of the saints so they can go do the work of the ministry. I have a friend that, uh, well, when my wife and I met, we were attending an Assembly of God church, and we happened to meet in the choir. And I was coming home on weekends and... Uh, so we were singing the choir together, and our music director was a wonderful man. In fact, probably he was a little more popular than even the pastor. People just loved him. The pastor was a wonderful guy, but this guy had the greatest personality and all these things. And when the pastor was gone, from time to time, he would fill in the pulpit. Everybody loved him. Well, later on, he left that church to become a worship leader at another church, then left that church, became a worship leader at another church, and then ended up at a Bible school training young people in praise and worship. After many, many years, the pastor of the church where my wife and I met died. And so the board called him and asked him, would you come and pastor this church? Everybody loved you when you were here. So he prayed about it and said, yes, I will come. After he took the church, we went to lunch one day because I was pastoring by this time. 
and he took me to lunch and he started telling me about the church because I knew the church. That's where my wife and I met. We knew him personally. And so he told me, he said, well, I took the church over just a few months ago. He said, was I in for a surprise? When I got there, he said, all that was left was a lot of old people. No young people. It's wonderful to see young people here today. But he said, no young people at all, just really old people. He said, there wasn't that many of them left. And he said, when I came there, he said, also, there was no one helping. There was not an usher. There was no one to greet you at the front door. There was no children's workers because there were no children. There was no youth workers because there was no youth. All there was was just old people. He said, when we started church, they'd all walk in and sit down. They would stare at me through the whole sermon. When I dismissed, they all walked out. That was church. He said, man, I wanted a vibrant, living congregation. So I began to preach on getting involved. He said, so the first week I taught on ushering and greeting and talked about how when someone meets you at the front door, a smile on your face could change their entire day because they can come to church upset and angry, but one smile from you, and especially welcome to church, today's going to be a life-changing day for you. That can change their life. Then after that, an usher can bring them in, and they can answer questions, because people may walk in the door asking, where's the children's church? Where's this? Where's that? And we need someone that can help people, much like when you walk into a store for the first time, you want to know where everything is located. That's what a church is like. Your preparation into their life when you greet them and answer their questions and invite them into the congregation, that can change their life so they can receive the Word of God. He said at the end of the sermon, nobody did anything. They just all walked out. Next week, he taught on children's work and youth work. The third week, he taught on getting involved in praise and worship. Then the last week, he had talked about helping in any way possible in the church that we needed volunteers. He said after four weeks, he had no one respond, none. He said, but he noticed an interesting thing. He said, you know, when I came to that church, he said it was almost a pastor's dream. Everything was paid for. That church was so old, the building was paid for, the grounds were paid for. We had bought houses around the church and fixed them up so that when missionaries came back, they could stay at the homes. All that was paid for. He said we had hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting in the bank. He said, that was a pastor's dream. He said, I noticed something about the third week I taught on getting involved. He said, every time I taught on getting involved, the offerings went up. He thought, that's strange. Why would the offerings go up when I asked people to get involved? So he said, I went to the, to the leadership meeting of the church, the board meeting of the church, of which they were the same board that was there years ago when I came. Many of them had died, but there were still a few of them left these really old people, and he said to them, why when I preach on getting involved do the offerings go up? They said, well, go hire them. He said, go hire them. They said, yeah, just go ask them to come in here and pay them to do it. He said, you mean bring strangers in? He said, those are hirelings according to the word of God. And I will never bring in people from the outside when you're the ones that ought to be getting involved. And he said he realized something after that. He said, the church of your dreams is not a church that's paid for and has lots of money in the bank. A church of your dreams is people helping people. That's what church is all about. And we find this throughout the Word of God, is that this is what God is looking for. You see, I pastored a church for years, and I know the important thing is God works through the church today. And the church is broken down into local churches. And the local churches, including this one, Victory, is an example of what the entire body of Christ is supposed to be like. We are supposed to be helping people. Did you know that preparation for winning the lost starts here by getting involved in church? The Bible says do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. This is where it starts. When you start helping Christians, it actually makes you better to go out and win souls for the lost. I have found something. The most dedicated soul winners in my church are also involved in the church. People who just attend are not great soul winners. People who just come and then leave are not known for doing great things in the, in the community. They just attend church. But those who come to church realizing it's more than just a place to attend, it's a place for me to help people understand something. Helping people here is really just a pattern for helping people in the world. This is where it starts, right here in the body of Christ. In chapter 2 of Genesis, I want you to look with me at verses 21 and verse 22. It says in Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh around it. And from the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her to the man. You know, in this story, we have how that finally, after many, many days, God made a wife for Adam. And I, I ask you a question for just a moment. What had Adam been doing at the time when God made Eve for him? Go back with me to verse 15 and we'll find out. Here's what Adam had been doing. It says in verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. The first thing that God gave Adam was a job. You know, the first thing God promised Adam was that he would have a family. Back when he first made him, he told him, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. But of course, every one of you know that involves a woman too, and he didn't have one. God said, be fruitful, have children, but there was no way to do it. But before God made a wife for him, he gave him a job. How important that is. Young girls, don't you get serious over a guy that doesn't have a job. I know what you're thinking. We can live on love. No, you can't. You cannot live on love. Grocery stores don't take love checks. And there's no love credit cards. You have to have real money to back it up. Listen to this. Adam had to start working for a woman he didn't have yet. How important is that? You know, I taught this many, many years ago on a marriage series. A young man in our congregation, 17 years old at the time, after I finished this sermon, came up to me and said, I've been so stupid. He said, I have a job. I live at home. Mom and dad pay for everything. I don't have to buy my food. I don't have to pay for rent. He says, everything's provided. My clothes are provided. And all I've been doing is saving for a car. He said, I'm going to start saving for a girlfriend that I don't have yet. He says, in fact, I've got plenty of time. I'm going to go get a second job. And I'm going to start putting money away, trusting that God's going to bring the right one to me so that when he does, I'll be prepared for it. I looked at him and said, I've never seen anybody do that before. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen anybody do it. And he started working. It was a year and a half later he met a young girl in the church. They dated for a year. He then proposed to her, and a year after that they got married. When they got married, he bought her ring, cash. He made a down payment on a home, cash. They, they bypassed the whole apartment thing and went straight to a home. He paid for that house or the down payment on it. They moved into a home, and years later, this has only been about five months ago, they ran an article on him in the Tulsa newspaper on his job and on the business that he had and talked about what a great businessman he was, his parents credit the day he heard that sermon and started working for someone he didn't have yet. And he was prepared when she came along. Women are gifted at spending money. So young men, get prepared. Start working ahead of time. Jump over with me to verse 20. Jump down to verse 20. Look at verse 20. And here's the second job that Adam had. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him of his own species. Here's what happened with Adam. Adam was naming the animals. This was his job. First of all, he was to take care of the garden. He was to guard it. He was to till it. And next of all, name all the animals. All this was done before God made him a wife before God brought him a woman. He started naming the animals, and of course they came to him in twos. And they, he would name them elephants. They turned around, walked off, and he would go, hmm, one, two, one. Something's not right here. So then came the hippopotamuses, and one, two, one. Then came the giraffes, one, two, one. Every time the animals came to him, he would notice that couldn't be my species because I don't look like a giraffe. I don't look like an elephant. I don't look like a hippopotamus. But he noted something. Every creature had a helper of the opposite sex but of the same species. He didn't have one until after all the animals were named. And here's what happened is God brought a woman to him. Let me give you four points on finding a mate for life. Let me give you four points on finding a, a man or a woman that you would have for your life. All right? Four points on finding. The first two are you and the second two are God. Point number one, get to work. Get to work. Adam was working. 
And this is what he did first. I'm not talking about just a secular job, that's fine. I'm talking about getting involved in church, helping people. This is where God looks first of all. And so the first point is, number one, get to work. Point number two, go to sleep. Say, what do you mean? Well, listen, if you're putting your trust in God, then rest in the promises that it's going to come to pass. It's not up to you to run around and make it come to pass. Point number one, get to work. You know, people often say, well, I mean, you know, I know you want me to get to work in the church. That's what you're talking about. Yes, I am. But I think we have enough ushers in the church. We never have enough ushers. Well, I think we have enough counselors in the church. No, we never have enough counselors. Well, I think we have enough praise. We never have enough praise and worship leaders. We never have enough musicians. We never have enough children's workers. You know why? Because after a while, as they begin to work in the church, God calls them somewhere else, and we always have an opening, and that opening is just for you. Number one, get to work. Number two, go to sleep. Quit thinking morning and evening, all afternoon, when is he going to come? When is she going to come? When am I going to meet? Just forget about it. Go to sleep. God will take care of it. Point number three, if God has to make someone for you, he'll do it. Because you know what? God knows you better than you know you. And point number four, whenever God brings that person, you won't have to go from church to church, youth group to youth group, singles department to singles department. You won't have to do that searching for someone because God will bring that right person to you. When you wake up, there he will be, there she will be. And Adam looked at Eve and thought, does it look a thing like a hippopotamus? He looked at her and thought, man, she's like me, but she's a lot better looking than me. And so God brought that person to him. There's a verse of scripture in Ecclesiastes 11, and it says around verse 7, it says, it says in that verse of scripture that God has made man upright, but he has sought out many inventions. What it means is God has a perfect plan, but we're always trying to improve the plan of God. Anybody been guilty of trying to improve God's plan? Okay, be honest. Okay. See, God has a plan for bringing us together, but we always want to improve his plan. And what happens with us is we often think, well, I need to go from church to church and look because there may be a young man there and I'm missing it because I'm in this church and that person may be in that church. So you run from place to place. In the United States we have, I don't know if you have them here, do you have those dating websites? Okay, well you run across, we have them on TV, they announce them. Maybe you have one called ChristianMingle.com and you go there and they'll match Christian young people together, boys and girls. And they have another one called Match.com and you just subscribe to it, you put all this information on there, they find somebody, match you in your area and then they'll tell you here they are, call them, you know, get a date. And sadly there's many Christian kids Young people in our church have signed up for that because they just somehow think God can't find the right person. I need to go and have a computer put us together. What did poor God do before the computer came along? <laughs> Next of all, I can tell you how those computers work. Some of you have gone to websites and all of a sudden these things pop up and tell you, you know, you're looking for, a, you know, looking for a husband, looking for a wife. Here's what we'll do. And computers will put you together. Here's how computers put you together. They take all your likes and all of your dislikes, and they find somebody else with the same likes and the same dislikes. You know what that's called? Boring. <laughs> How you will admit in here today, you and your husband or you and your wife are complete opposites, today? Oh, see there? Does God know what he's... I want to start... I would like to start a computer dating service called mismatch.com. <laughs> I think it'd be a whole lot more successful. My wife and I are so opposites. I mean, she's a night person, I'm a day person. About 10 o'clock at night, I am ready for bed. And her eyes just come wide open. And she'll stay up till 2 and 3 in the morning. Of course, she doesn't get up until 11 or 12 every day. I have to make sure I don't call her till close to lunchtime so that I can get her because she's just getting out of bed. I've rolled over and felt the other side of the bed at 3 in the morning. She's not there yet. She's still studying, reading, watching somebody on television or a movie or something and she'll eventually come to bed. We're complete opposites like that. And movies. She loves love stories. We have Hallmark Channel in the United States. You have Hallmark Channel over here? Anyway, love stories. Just one after another, these love stories. are. I mean, I watch a couple of them, but after a while I go, honey, this is not a love story. A love story has action in it where guys get killed. 
That's a love story. That's my idea of a love story. Music. She likes classical music. I like classic rock. I mean, we are totally different throughout our lifestyles. But again, God put us together. We fought for the first 10 years of our marriage. I kept trying to make her like me, and she kept trying to make me like her, and that's why we fought all the time. And finally, we learned to accept each other as we were. And I found out something great about life. It's great to see life through someone else's eyes, not just my own. If the whole world was like me, we'd be very boring. But it's good to have a wife, and again, God puts you together in that God knows you better than you know you. You know, when I was at Rama, we'd have young kids coming in. The first thing they were doing, they were coming to Rama to look for a husband and a wife, not just to get into the ministry. This is the place I'm going to find my husband or wife. And I stopped a girl one day, and, you know, and I said, well, what are you looking for? She actually pulled a list out, all these things she wanted a guy to be. I read through her list, and I said, honey, I don't think Jesus would qualify with all these points. He has to be in the ministry, has to have the same calling I do, the same part of the same world. I said, why don't you just tear your list up and let God find a person for you, and you trust in God, and he'll bring that person to you. You know, my daughter was in uh, Christian school. She was in high school. She and my son are opposites in that respect, too. My son was brilliant made incredible grades, went to college and graduated in three years. He was just incredible. But my daughter hated school. She couldn't wait to get out of school. Her grades were okay, but she just really worked hard. She said, when I graduate from high school, that's, it's it. She said, I want to be a mom and a, and, a, and a wife for the rest of my life. That's really what I want to do. I just want to serve God, but I don't want to have to go back to school. And so we told her, fine, and you know, whatever she felt like she wanted to do, we stood behind her. And then we told her, and God will send someone to you. Well, her teacher, her junior year in high school, her English teacher asked her, where are you going to go to school? She said, well, I, I don't plan on it. She said, well, how are you ever going to find a husband? And my daughter thought, well, I guess God. That's all she could think about was God would provide, and he did. Because at our church, a young man came who had been all around the United States, but God led him to come to Tulsa to go to school in Tulsa. He attended our church, and they met at church. What a wonderful thing. But she just woke up one day and there he was. Again, she didn't have to go running around looking for him. God brought him to her. So point number one, get to work. Point number two, go to sleep. Point number three, if God has to make someone for you, he will. And point number four, you don't have to run from church to church, youth group to youth group, seminar to seminar, place to place looking for the person. God will bring that right person to you, God didn't say to Adam, well, she's hidden somewhere in the garden, go look for her. When he woke up, there she was. So again, let me give you some, you say, okay, I want other examples. Let me give you examples. God brought Rebecca to Isaac. Isaac had a choice to go out and look for somebody or work on his father's farm his father's land, of which Abraham gave to him, and, and he said, I'm going to keep working the land. And so he sent a servant out to look for a wife. You say, I wish I had a servant. You do. He's called the Holy Spirit. Send him out. Just keep doing the work you're supposed to do. So he sent this servant out, and the servant brought Rebecca back, and the moment their eyes met, they knew they were right for each other. My wife and I met. I don't believe in love at first sight, but I do believe you can recognize at first sight the right person. You have to know a person before you love them. So my wife and I saw each other. We recognized that and learned to love each other through the years. But when Isaac saw Rebecca, she jumped off that camel. They knew they were right for each other. God had brought her from a distant country. If God has to bring them from another country, he'll do that. In fact, God will bring them right to you. We have a young girl at our church many years ago. My wife and I really loved her. She was part of our praise and worship group. And uh, she's had this very outgoing personality all day. She was at our church for two years, singing in our praise and worship group. Everybody loved her. And she came to my wife and I one day. And she said, I'm leaving the church. We said, why? She said, because I've looked at all the men here and the good ones are taken. All that's left is the dregs. That's all that's left. And I don't want any of them. She said, I've looked around. She said, I'm going to go. She started naming the church. I'm going there. She said, I think I'll spend a few months there, and if they're not there, I'll go here. I said, wait a minute, let me say something to you. What if you go to another church next week, and the right guy comes here next week? You're going to miss each other. 
and then you might stay there. He'll, you'll go, so he'll go to that church looking for you, and you guys will spend each other running around looking. And I said, just stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. God knows where you are. If you're trusting Him and resting in His promises, you're basically asleep when it comes to finding someone. God will create them and bring them to you. She said, well, okay. And I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send our servant out, the Holy Spirit. So we joined in prayer together. And I said, now just get more involved in church. Just find something else to do also. And so she did. And it wasn't but a few weeks after we prayed. Oklahoma's where I live. Next to us is Arkansas. And a young man in Arkansas built homes. And the Lord spoke to him and said, shut your business down and move to Tulsa. He thought, Lord, why? All my friends are here. My business is doing great. My church is here. Why do I want to leave and go to Tulsa? He said the Lord didn't speak anymore. But for the next month, all he kept getting was promptings from the Holy Spirit. Shut it down and move to Tulsa. So finally he obeyed, shut his business down, moved to Tulsa. And when he got there, he, I mean, he was building homes so fast. It's like his business just moved with him. He got there and he was building homes. He said, I didn't miss one thing. I just started building homes again. He said, week after week while I was building homes, I said, kept asking God, why am I here? Why did you call me here? And one morning he was driving down the street to go build a home and looked up at our church and the Lord said, go there next Sunday. So he came to church there the next Sunday. Well, we, were, we had enough praise and worship leaders that we had teams. So not everybody did it every week. And this was her week not to lead praise and worship. She was sitting in the congregation and she was sitting right on the aisle. Well, during praise and worship, while she was there worshiping God, the usher brought him in and set him right across the aisle from her on that seat because it was empty. Even ushers can be led by the Holy Spirit. Led by the Spirit. I mean, not only did God go to Arkansas to find this guy, arrange for him to come, tell him which church to go to, the people that greeted him at the door were the right people knowing exactly where to place him. And you think all this is happenstance. Nothing is happenstance in a Christian's life. Nothing is accidental in a Christian's walk. When you're trusting God, your steps are ordered by the Lord. He stood on this side, both of them. He was here, she was across the aisle, praising the Lord. And during praise and worship, they... They looked at each other. And after praise and worship was over, I said, let's all join hands for prayer. <laughs> and they joined hands. I mean, when church was over, they were exchanging phone numbers. They were finding out. He took her out for coffee that afternoon. They dated for a year. He proposed to her. A year later, I did their marriage. And they became missionaries to the Philippines together. What a wonderful testimony. And she just stayed there being faithful to work for the Lord and God brought him to her. Can I hear a big amen? amen? We also find the word of God that this happened again is that when God brought Rachel to Jacob, Jacob was just working for his father-in-law, shepherding sheep, and Rachel came along. I love this story, Ruth and Boaz. What a tremendous story. She came after her husband died and she lived in a cursed country called Moab. And she came with her mother-in-law over to Israel, and she didn't come there looking for a husband. She came there to work. And so she started gleaning in the fields. And all the, the, the uh, crops that were left over, when the people came through and, and harvested it, what was left over, she could come, and she began to glean. And one day she just happened to be in the field of Boaz. And Boaz looked out and said, Who's that woman out there? And somebody said, Oh, she's one of those Moabitesses. In other words, you probably don't want her because that's a cursed country. And uh, so he said, no, no. He said, in fact, leave big handfuls for her. Don't harvest like you usually. Leave a lot back there. So she probably started coming home with this basket full going, wow, I like this field, you know. Well, he got to meet her. They got to seeing each other. And, of course, you know the story how he proposed to her. But God brought the two together. They were both working. And God brought them together. I, can't, I have to let my spiritual imagination go for just a moment. This may not have happened, but Bob thinks it did, so we'll wait till we get to heaven. I can't think anymore of the fact that perhaps Ruth, who fell in love with the Lord and fell in love with Boaz, couldn't help but be overwhelmed by the grace of God. Because when she came, she said, not only will you be my mother-in-law, she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. 
she accepted the Lord. And she came and began to understand about Israel. Then she probably found out she'd lived in a cursed country because Moab refused to let Israel cross through their country when they were in the wilderness. And God put a curse on that country. So she was part of a cursed country. But how are you glad no matter what curse you're under, God can turn it all around when you accept Him? So she accepted Him and she moved there and all of a sudden everything started working out for her. And now she finds out she's engaged to one of the richest men in the entire country. She's about to become the wife of a huge landowner, very wealthy. And probably she began to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. And she's, I can imagine she had to be talking to Boaz one day saying, why do you want to marry me? She said, because I love you. She said, yeah, but I'm from a cursed country. I'm, a, I'm, I'm from cursed country. And your people have treated me so well. Your God has treated me in grace. You have treated me. I don't deserve all this. She said, explain to me why you love me so much. She said, come meet my mother. She said, I don't want to meet your mother. I want you to explain to me why I'm so... He says, no, no, not until you meet my mother. So he came, I imagine he took her home, you know, about the time he wanted to introduce her to mother. And she came in the house and he said, Ruth, this is my mother. This is the girl I've been telling you about. This is Ruth. And Ruth, I want you to meet my mother, Rahab. Honey, you think you're cursed. My mother was a Hittite. My mother was a prostitute. And look what's happened to her. Say, where are you getting all this? It's found in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Rahab and Ruth are part of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God can't turn cursing into blessing. So quit looking at your past like, how could God bless me? God blesses you because you just accepted Him as your Savior. And Jesus died on the cross to redeem us from all curses. Can I hear a big amen on that one? Hallelujah. God brought them together. So again, Ruth was from a cursed country, but he, again, he brought her home. There was a young man at our church. He came to go to Ramah and uh, was talking to me one day, and I had no idea. This was years later. He said, I came, really, he said, I came to Ramah, but he said, I came to your church to scout out the women. That's what I came for. He said, I came to look at all the girls that were there, and he says, and I thought I would look at them for a week or two if there wasn't anybody there that I saw was going to move on to the next church. He said, and you taught that sermon on if we'll just stay still, God will bring the right one to us. He said, I just, he says, in fact, that Sunday I grew up. I became a spiritual adult. I quit thinking about myself and started thinking about others. You see, God will bless you when you start putting others above yourself. He said, I started helping in the church. I became an usher in the church. He said, I became volunteer in the church. I started helping people everywhere I could, and I forgot about finding a wife. He said, after I graduated from Ramah, I, he said, I came to your Bible school. He said, the second year I was in your Bible school, I met the secretary of the Bible school. We fell in love. Today they are married. He has one of the largest missions organizations in Oklahoma to China. They take thousands of Bibles in at a time. He and his wife are tremendously blessed. He said, that Sunday, I like this. He said, I grew up that Sunday. Started putting other people above myself. Because see, if you're just looking for a husband or looking for a wife or looking for that right one, to be married to, you're only thinking about yourself. And God wants you to come and come to church thinking, I'm here to be a blessing to other people. Well, I know what you're thinking. I thought this sermon was about finding your call. I'm already married. I didn't need to hear that sermon. I've got a wife. I didn't need to hear that sermon. I've got a husband. I didn't need to hear that sermon. I thought you were going to talk about how to find the will of God. Let me give you four points on finding the will of God. Number one, get to work. Start helping people in church. Get involved. Greet people at the door. Help people when they come into the church. Get involved in the counseling department. Get involved in prayer. Get involved in serving food to people. Put the needs of other people above yourself. Point number two, go to sleep. Quit waking up every day saying, how am I going to find the will of God for my life? Quit going from place to place, from prophets meeting to prophets meeting, asking somebody to prophesy over you and tell you what God's will is for your life. God knows where you are. You don't have to run around looking for it. Go to sleep. If it's in God's hands, it's in God's hands. And point number three, if God has to create His will for you, He will do it. And point number four, He will bring that will right to your front door and one day it'll knock on your door and say, Hi, I am here. I am the will of God. <laughs> look with me at 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and look at verse 19. Elijah had been in a cave feeling sorry for himself. 
actually told God, everybody hates you. I'm the only one that loves you. Everybody's torn down your altars. Nobody is serving you anymore. I and I only am the only one left serving you. And God said, well, then get out of the cave and go back to your ministry. He says, no. So he went back in the cave and complained a little more. And finally, after he did this twice, God said, that's it. Your ministry's over. I'm going to find somebody. I have somebody that's going to replace you. And by the way, Elijah, there are 7,000 out there that haven't bowed their knee to the prophets or to the gods of Baal. He said, so you're not alone. And out of those 7,000, I have chosen someone. His name is Elisha. You'll find him plowing. You'll find him in this particular land. Here's what his parents' name are, and you'll find him plowing. So here's where Elisha found Elijah. Look with me at 1 Kings 19, verse 19. He, that is Elijah, departed from there, that's the cave, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. You see, he found Elisha plowing. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You know why? Because I imagine when God told Elijah, I have found someone to replace you, Elijah probably thought, hmm, he's going to have to be pretty good because my ministry is huge. Have you seen my mailing list, Jesus? It's huge. Have you seen all the places I've been invited to speak? It's big. Lord, you're going to have to find somebody that's knowledgeable in the Bible, knows how to run the office, knows how to book my meetings, knows how to do all these things. Lord, you're going to have to find somebody, and Lord, that must be very difficult. And the Lord says, no, no, I'm going to replace you with a farmer. <laughs> You'll find him plowing behind a yoke of oxen. In other words, folks, what happened was God took a nobody and made a somebody out of him. At about the time you think you're somebody, go look in the mirror because you started out as a nobody. Nobody in the ministry starts out as a somebody. In fact, if you start out as a somebody, God has to sweat the somebody out of you and make a nobody out of you before he'll put you in the ministry so he can remake a somebody out of you. Throughout the word of God, when somebody's came to Jesus, he put them on the 40 years on the backside of the wilderness until Moses couldn't even talk anymore. And when the Lord said, now it's time for me, she said, but I can't speak anymore. He said, that's good. That's exactly what I want. I will fill your mouth. I will be in your mouth. And you'll have to totally trust in me. When Elijah found Elisha, he was plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. And God was about to take this farmer boy and make a prophet out of him. Notice again, Elisha didn't have to go looking for the will of God. It found Elisha. And notice it's while he was working. I have talked to most people and ask them this question, how do you find the will of God? They say, praying. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that God brought his will to anybody while they were praying. Now, is praying important? Very important. But it's time to get off your knees and get back onto your feet and start working for someone because that's when God will bring his ministry to you. Throughout the word of God, God found, I imagine Elisha had been praying a lot. He knew a change was coming, but he didn't run around from place to place looking for it. He didn't run around from conference to conference. He didn't run around from ministry to ministry looking for someone to prophesy over him what his ministry was. He just kept plowing until one day Elijah came and threw his mantle around him and Elisha knew this was his calling and he dropped everything and followed after Elisha or Elijah into the ministry. He even went back and killed one of the oxen and boiled it showing he was burning his bridges behind him. He was never going to go back into doing that again. I remember I was at church one day. I had just passed or just preached. A young girl came to us after church, and she said, I'm a visitor today. I'm an ORU student. I said, well, great. And so she was going on, and, you know, the more she talked, I could, you know, I could tell she wasn't quite with us, you know. An airhead. Does you guys know what an airhead is? Okay, anyway. She was kind of an airhead. And she said, did you go to college anywhere? I said, yes, I went to Oklahoma State University. She said, oh, good, what did you study? I said, business. She said, oh, that's wonderful. If the ministry ever failed, you have something to fall back on. I looked at my wife and I said, I have never thought that in my entire life. What if the ministry fails? If God fails, I have something to go back. I would never go back into the business world. I came out of it. I burned that behind me a long time ago. Man, I killed that cow a long time ago, and it's over. But in this case, again, Elijah, Elisha just left that and never went back to it again. 
he entered into the ministry. Let me give you some examples from the Old Testament. Moses saw the burning bush while he was shepherding. David was the only son out working when the prophet came to his house looking for the next king. When Samuel came to the house, all six brothers were in the living room going, it's me, it's me. He went down the row and God said, no over Eliab and no over the next one and no over the next one. Finally, after six of them, he said, you have any other ones? Oh, yeah. We got one out there. He keeps the sheep. That's how they said it. Like, oh, well, you know, he probably smells like the sheep and looks like the sheep. And, but they brought, they brought David in. David probably walked in going, what's going on? And the prophet Samuel laid his hands on him and said, you're the next king of Israel. See, he was working. We have in the case of Gideon, he was threshing at a floor when the Lord approached to him and told him he would be the next deliverer over Israel. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 1 Zechariah and Elizabeth had waited on God for years about what their ministry would be and how they would have a child, and they had not. And now in their old age, they still kept working for God. They were lighting the, uh, the lamps in the temple when the angel appeared and told them they would have a son beyond their years, miraculous, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's worth waiting on, isn't it? Next of all, in Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew were fishing when the Lord called them. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew was sitting by a table collecting taxes when called by Jesus. And in Acts chapter 6, Philip and Stephen, along with four, uh, five others, were chosen for leadership positions in the church because they were already working in the church. And later on in the chapters after this, they went into the full-time ministry, but the Lord found them working. How important, how important that really is. You know, I've had people in church. I can tell you this. Everybody I have laid hands on and sent into the ministry were people in the church doing something. And they were faithful. I have laid hands on so many people and sent them out, and they're pastoring all across the United States. They're pastoring all around the world. They're in missions positions, things like that. But they were always people that were doing something in the church. What always bothered me was, it took me years to get them into that position. Now at the prime, the very peak of their ministry, I had to lay hands on them and send them away. I remember laying hands on one young man that was about to go to Wisconsin to become a pastor. He had been my associate. He had been my head of all the ushers for about six years. And when I laid hands, I'll never forget that Sunday as I laid hands on him. I thought, Jesus, why do you take my best people? I just have got this guy to where I, he's wonderful. I've been working with him for six years. He's the most effective associate pastor I have ever had, and now he's going to pastor a church. Jesus, there's people here I would gladly give you. <laughs> I've been trying to get rid of him for years. I've been trying to get rid of her for years, and you take my best people? The Lord spoke to me and said to me, he said, are you sowing him into the ministry? I said, yes. He said, which one do you want a hundredfold return on? This one or that one? I said, Lord, you're right. I don't need a hundred of her. And I do need a hundred of him, but I'll take a hundred of this one. You know what? It never failed. When I sent them out, laid hands on them and blessed them to go out of the church, God would send somebody better the next time than them. It never failed. God is so good. But see, that's how it happens. They just decided to get to work in the church. They just started helping other people. And there came a time when the will of God met them. In fact, the young man called to go up there, came to me one week and told me, he said, God spoke to me that I'm going to be a pastor. I said, where? He said, all I keep getting in me is Wisconsin. I don't know where. And then God began to narrow it down, and he got a phone call. There was a church that wanted a pastor, and that was the right church for him. He was there for 19 years, one effective pastor he made. What a wonderful man of God. But it all started because he just started working in the church. That's the whole essence of the New Testament. That's the whole essence of the Old Testament too. I was involved after college. I was my junior year at college at Oklahoma State University. And God began to speak to me that I would be a teacher. And uh, so I left there and went to Bible school and met my wife. Had Just before I went to Bible school, I met my wife. And we got married halfway through the year. At semester break, we got married, and I came back second semester, and of course I was married. But uh, during that first time when I was, I was there, and uh, we, my wife and I were preparing 
to be married. Uh, she, we had the whole date planned and everything. It's amazing how God directed my steps, but how God watches over us. While we were preparing for the wedding, I had a job going to school, and suddenly they came along and had to let a lot of people go because the, 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 the job was going to downsize. And so they came to me and said, we're sorry, but we have to let you go. So I came to my, you know, fiancé, my, you know, to be my wife and told her, I said, hon, we may have to put the wedding off. She said, no way. I said, well, hon, I, you know, they just let me go from this job. She said, find another one. She said, I've already sent out the invitations. All this stuff is prepared. You will find another job. I said, okay. And of course, I called around, did a few things, but my trust was in God. And you know what? Never in my life have I had to run around looking for things. God brought them to me. I think it's important you send out resumes. I think it's important you do all that. But in the end, God will bring the right one to you when you just keep doing the right thing. I was in a store one day, standing in line and uh, to go to the cash register. And a lady in front of me, her son came running up and said, Mom, they had, did you, did you guys have Hardy Boy books over here? Okay, a few of you know what those are. Okay. He said, Mom, they have Hardy Boy books here. And he said, I want to buy one. She said, honey, I just bought you one two weeks ago. I said, but I read that one. She said, well, another time, but right now I'm not going to buy you one. And I just said to her, he likes Hardy Boy books? She said, yes. I said, I've got every one of them. I've got boxes of them. I've collected them all my life. And I said, I've got boxes of them. I said, if he wants them, he can have all of them. She said, really? And I said, yes. So I gave her my address. They came over to the house. I was living with my mom and dad. They pulled up. I gave them all these books, boxes of them. The boy's eyes were this big. He was just, wow, mom, look. And she said, thank you for doing this. I said, oh, you're welcome. She said, do you need a job? I said, yes. She said, do you know anything about stereo equipment? I said, oh, yes, that's my hobby. I used to, In the college, I put them all together. You know, I said, I love that. She said, well, my, my husband's opening up a store. He needs a salesman. God brought it to me. It was no accident I met her at a store. It was no accident she came over to the house. It was no accident I just happened to have all those books to give to him. I got that job. In six months, I became manager and managed that store for two years and made great money while my wife and I just got started. From there, I ended up going working for Kenneth Hagen, eventually working for Rama. But all these things happen because you're following after God. I'm here to let you know you're to do the right things, but ultimately, God will cross your path and bring the right things to you. It all comes back to it. You don't have to try to find the will of God. It will find you throughout the Word of God. Finally, one more story in closing. There was a young man that came to our church, again, a Rhema student. But he attended our church, and as graduation time came, he was still at the church. And I had just taken the church a few months before that. I came to him. I said, I understand you're a photographer. He said, yes. I said, I understand you're a great photographer. He said, well, I've worked for some pretty large companies. And I said, I need someone to take pictures in the church. I need somebody, and then I said, because I want to put together, you know, some brochures every month to tell what happened the past month in the church. I just need pictures. I said, all I'm going to ask you to do is just show up for events, take a few pictures, and leave. You don't have to stay. Man, if the young people are going to have a picnic, go take a few pictures and leave. I said, we're having baby dedications, take a few pictures and leave. Water baptisms, do that. He said, I can't do that. I said, why? He said, I'm called to the mission field. I know the phone's going to ring probably next week. I just know it in my heart. It's so close, I can feel it. He says, I don't want to say yes to you today, and next week the mission field open up. I said, well, okay. So two months later, he was still there. I came to him and said, I still need you to take pictures. He said, no, 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 it's even more real inside of me. I feel like the phone could call tomorrow. They're going to call me tomorrow. He says, I can't say yes to you today and take pictures knowing tomorrow the mission field's going to open up. I said, well, okay. Two months later, he was still there. I went back to him. I said, I, he says, no, no, I know what you're going to ask. I feel like it's going to ring today. The phone's going to ring today, and they're going to ask me to go to the mission field. I said, no, it won't. If you don't commit to me today, your phone won't ring next week. If you don't say yesterday, if you're not faithful over a few things, not, God's not going to make you ruler over much. If you're not faithful over that which is another man's, God will not give you that which is your own. I just whacked real bold with him. He said, I never thought about that. And I said, besides that, if you do say yes to me today, if the phone rings next week, he'll have somebody to replace you by next week. But all God's looking for is for you to get involved. He said, okay, I'll do that. You know how long he took pictures for us? Three years. 
three years. I still have a box. Whenever I left the church, I found his box of pictures, incredible pictures of people that attended the church or Roberts attended the church for a while. He had pictures of him. He had pictures of, of Easter services, tremendous things of speakers that had long gone to be with the Lord. And I had pictures of them, great pictures of them. And after three years, God called him to the mission field. And he's a ministry our church still supports today out of Eastern Europe. God has blessed him so much, but he had to say yes to the will of God today. It may not seem very glamorous, helping someone in the church. It may not seem like it's something that important, but God said if you give a cup of cold water in his name, you'll get a prophet's reward for it. That's what God is looking for because you'll never know till you get to heaven. Those people you greeted at the front door, those young people you helped, those children you helped, that something you said changed their life and you never knew about it until you get to heaven, you'll find out. And God is looking for faithful people. Let me give you one verse in closing, and this is Luke chapter 12 and verse 43. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but here's what it said. Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord, when he comes, will find him doing. What God wants to find you is doing something when he comes. That's what God is looking for. He found it in Adam. He found it in Moses. He found it in the early uh, uh, fathers of the Old Testament. He found it through the New Testament, and God's not looking for anything different today. He just wants to find you doing something. Let me ask a question. Have you say today, Pastor, that's exactly what I need to hear. Your sermon today was exactly what I needed to hear. All right. Put your hands down for just a moment. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for this church. Father, on this 25th anniversary, Father, what a blessed church this is. Father, not only known in New Zealand, but Father, in countries around the world, you have so blessed them. And Father, what an honor it is to become involved and be a blessing in a church like this.